This is Dr. Kathy Williams greeting you uh, early in the morning as I'm making this recording, but whatever time of day it is for you as you listen. And by popular demand, this podcast is going to be about a few stories of what it is like to be a prison chaplain in a men's correctional facility. Wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world. My life is forever enriched uh, by the opportunity to serve uh, as a full-time chaplain. The first story I want to tell you is about my naivety as I transitioned from being a volunteer to being a full-time employee. Those are two different worlds. And while they both take place in the same environment, trust me, they are not the same. I had a lot to learn. So, here's what happened. I, I hadn't been a chaplain long, uh, well, some months. And um, one of the clerks, uh, men in prison tend to, to um, think highly of themselves for the for the vocabulary that they have, that how many flourishing words can they use, especially in writing letters. Some of you have gotten those letters. You know what I'm saying. But anyway, this one guy that worked for us in the chapel, he was always talking trash about uh, playing Scrabble. Chaplain Williams, I've been locked up. I've been down 25 years straight. And, uh... Uh, All I've done is read the dictionary and, oh, blah, blah, blah. One of the things I used to tell the guys that equipped me to be a good chaplain in a men's facility is I had a lot of brothers. So I said, bring it on. I have brothers and sons. I'm ready for this. And so uh, this guy kept talking trash. And finally, one day I said to him, hey, let me ask you a question. In the time that you have worked for me, Have you ever seen me use spell check? He said, uh, no, ma'am. I said, all right, then. You know, need I say more? He said, oh, well, bring it on, Chaplain Williams. I said, one of these days, it's going to happen, son, one of these days. Well, we had a day where something had happened in the facility. Um, Not necessarily a big problem whatsoever, but it's called shutdown movement which meant nobody could come up to the chapel for the scheduled programs, which, frankly, for a chaplain, gets pretty boring pretty quickly because our uh, day is built on um, the busyness of our area. So uh, I took my Scrabble game, and I walked down to this housing unit where this guy was, furthest one away from the chapel. So... Every guy, you know, they're all at the windows as you're walking by. And let me tell you, gossip and rumors is like, oh, it's like the meat and potatoes of a prison. Uh, And trust me, men, oh gosh, ladies, we've got nothing on them when it comes to gossip and rumors. So I go down to this housing unit, just not thinking, not thinking, my naivety. All I'm thinking about is playing the sky in Scrabble. And frankly, I'm thinking he's going to appreciate me coming because there's nothing else to do that day. So I walk in the housing unit. Then within each housing unit, there are four pods, what are called pods of living areas. And in each pod is a two-tiered, uh, twenty about 25 bunks, upper, lower, 
And so I go into the pod where he lives. And of course, everybody's like, hey, chap, what you up to? What you up to? And so um, he comes to the rail, the top tier. And he says very cheerfully, hey, chap, what you up to? I didn't think about how it sounded. I pointed to him. I realized later it looked like an old West gunfight. I pointed to him and I said, I came for you. I didn't mean I came for you. I, I like, like I'm out to get you. I just meant I came to play Scrabble. Whoo, you should have heard the noise. 49 other men like, oh, dog, it's about to go down. It's about to go down. He said, I'll be right down, chap. We played and we played and the lead went up and down. And every time I was ahead, you know, all the other guys in the pod like, man, it's about to go down. The chaplain about to put you down. And, 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 and he stayed calm and we bantered back and forth. And in the end, he beat me. Not by much, but he beat me. But most importantly... I got what they call respect that day. He gave me a fist bump right in front of everybody. He's like, good game, chap. You all right. With that, I packed my Scrabble game up and went back up the walk. And with that, I earned legendary status as a Scrabble player amongst men of men. Now, let me shift over to another story. Part of what chaplains do is to tell someone if someone has, to tell one of the men who's serving a sentence if someone has died or there's an emergency in their family. And then on the flip side of that, if someone in their family has died, it's our responsibility to tell them. And even a third level of that is that if an inmate dies in the facility, it's our responsibility to contact um the next of kin and let them know and even another step beyond that every once in a while we would have a man that died who did not maybe he didn't have any family uh maybe the disconnection was broken to family one gentleman that passed away he was very he was quite elderly and the rest of his family was just gone when that happens there are a couple of prisons in the state that have uh, cemeteries attached to them. Now, the cemetery, once you get to that part of it, is not in sight actually of the prison grounds, but it's back in a wooded area, beautiful area, and it is a chaplain's responsibility to take the uh, cremains, the cremation remains, and take them to that other prison for burial. Uh, it, it's really something straight out of Hollywood to have that experience. Um, here are all these small headstones. And back in the early 1900s, they actually put why the person died on the headstone. I can tell you uh, it is one of the most humbling experiences I have ever had in my life is to have the privilege and the honor and the responsibility of being the last person in that individual's world to take them and then to work with um, uh, the custody officers and the and the men that dig the grave and actually uh, put those cremains in the ground and perform the the funeral service over that 
but there was one in particular that uh, struck me. Uh, I had to call a young man to my office one day, and um, I had to tell him that his daddy was dying. He was on life support. And that young man wailed and screamed and cried. And he kept saying, not my daddy, not my daddy, please, not my daddy. I love my daddy. I need my daddy. And so I'm sitting there with tears running down my face, handing him tissue while I'm getting tissue. And then his grief was so intense, it literally froze our department. I could feel it that none of the clerks were moving, that the other chaplains were not moving. I could feel it that everybody's attention was on what was happening with this young man. And as we often did, I arranged a phone call into the hospital room where his daddy was so that he could tell his daddy goodbye. It doesn't matter if the person is conscious as we describe consciousness, but to give that person the opportunity to have some closure uh, and, and, and say to their loved one whatever it is they need to say. And so the young man, we arranged the phone call. Someone on the other end was putting the phone up to his father's ear. And the young man began wailing again. And here, oh my goodness, he was crying, Daddy, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. And this is the part that just broke me down completely. He said, Daddy, hold on. I'm coming home next Thursday. Oh, my Lord, have mercy Jesus, help us, Lord, help us, Lord. Oh, my goodness. I had to call the young man up to my office again the next morning. And and uh, he, he as soon as he got there, he said, did you check on my daddy today? And I said, your father passed at 4 o'clock this morning. And once again, the wailing, the grief, the intensity was unlike anything I had ever witnessed as a chaplain. And I'm sitting there praying, asking the Lord to please give me the words to say to this young man. And so we sat there just crying together. And and finally, I said to him, your tears are one of the most powerful testimonies I have ever seen of a love between a father and a son. I said, do you know how many young men in this day and age don't even have a clue who their father is? And here you sit completely shattered. Clearly your dad was your hero. Tell me about your dad. That eased it just a little and that young man started telling me about his dad. He told me story after story after story about his dad until he could smile again, until he could laugh periodically while he was telling me. The tears were still flowing, but I had shifted his attention to somebody that meant the world to him. I will never, ever forget the grief of that young man and the testimony of his tears. There's a lesson in that for all of us, if I may say. Uh, tears, when our tears come, yes, they hurt, they're coming, but thank God that they're coming. They, they, you know, they say in the medical world that pain is a positive because if we couldn't feel pain, we would be in more danger than we could ever imagine because we wouldn't know that we had cut ourselves or we had bumped ourselves or we had broken something or whatever it may be. And even with that, tears are our proof of our ability to feel for somebody. 
So even for those of you that are crying because someone you love is incarcerated or you just have a burden for humanity and whatever, whether you, you have a burden for the homeless or a burden for refugees or whatever your spiritual burden is in humanity, count that a blessing that you feel for what other people feel. And so with that, I've been on here a little over 10 minutes and uh, thank you to my niece, Tara, who has encouraged me to do these podcasts. And in particular, she asked me to tell stories about what it was like to be a prison chaplain. And we will definitely tell some more because there are a lot of stories to tell. You be blessed and have a wonderful day and appreciate that you are living and breathing because that is proof that hope is still alive. <music>